So this morning I want to uh, continue the exploration that we started uh, last time, and in a way that we've been doing for for several weeks. Uh, last time was the day before the summer solstice, and we ex- and I had wanted to speak about the summer solstice and the time of most light. Literally, solstice means the sun being still, as it were, between the movement towards greater light and the movement towards greater darkness, the moment of the still point there. And as I was reflecting, I noticed that the, or I, um, yeah, I had the insight that the qualities of the solstice, talk about stillness, warmth, at least in our hemisphere, the summer solstice, stillness, warmth, abundance, more light, could be uh, understood in terms of this um, teaching of the seven factors of enlightenment, which are really a teaching about the qualities of most light, warmth, abundance, stillness, as they grow in ourselves, as they, as they develop. And so I had a lot of fun last time, I hope you did, and really both, it really was partly seeing the correspondences between um, awakened mind, heart of human beings and awakened natural world. Very um, interesting to look at those resonances. And so this morning, I wanted to come back to the teaching of the seven factors of enlightenment and talk more specifically about that. And last time, we had invited... um, uh, each of us to reflect on the quali- of the qualities that I mentioned, which not weren't all of the seven factors, but they were most of them, and to see which one you might like to develop or what calls you forth. And so um, I'll mention, first of all, the seven factors and then talk more generally about the teaching and then, and then go through the seven. And I'll probably do it especially given our long discussion about teacher's shadows. I will, I will be a little briefer than I was intending to be. Uh, and so we've, we've looked at this teaching, particularly in the weeks that we spent looking at the quality of inquiry or investigation. And it's, this teaching is a teaching of qualities of our mind and heart, which are both the expressions of an enlightened or awakened being, but they're also the qualities that we work on as we become more awake ourselves. So it's really both perspectives. And so cultivating these qualities in a conscious way helps us to awaken, helps us to grow, to to learn. The qualities are really divided into three groups. Uh, One is a general factor, mindfulness which is generally helpful all the time. (laughs) Then there are two groups of three. One set are the energizing factors, and those factors are uh, inquiry or investigation, which we've looked at uh, for several weeks, Uh, energy or effort, second of that group of three, and thirdly, rapture or joy. Then there are three stabilizing factors. Those are tranquility or calm, concentration, and equanimity. And this is a wonderful teaching 
both for me, it's, it's actually, and maybe my favorite of all the Buddhist lists. <laughs> this is a, this is, there are a lot of lists. And this may, this may be my favorite. Uh, I think partly because it inspires me to develop more. So it's a, the, the list of the seven. Shall I say them one more time? Yep. Mindfulness as the kind of the, the balancing quality, which is always helpful. The energizing factors of investigation or inquiry. Effort or energy. Rapture, her joy, and then the stabilizing factors of stillness or calm, tranquility, first, second, concentration, samadhi, and third, equanimity, uh, upekka. And what's interesting is that these factors can, uh, they're not just some ideal at the end of the road, but they can be a guide to practice. So, for example, in any given moment, we can look and say, um, which factor might I work on right now? You know, and I've, I've talked in, about sometimes in my own practice how I've used that. that I might, and particularly if we're feeling a little bit out of balance, we could say, which factor can I call on to help me if we're feeling agitated? Uh, maybe we want to uh, look for what would help me to have more calm or concentration or equanimity. Or if we're feeling really sluggish, we can look to the energizing qualities. I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling a little sluggish in my practice. What would really help? And that's where we looked over the last few weeks at inquiries, like asking deep questions, looking more, and so forth. And so the, the, we can ask in a given moment how we're doing, and what qualities would really help me for my practice to become more alive. Generally speaking, if we're feeling sluggish, we want to call on the energizing factors. And if we're feeling overly agitated or excited, we want to call on the stabilizing factors. So that's really helpful to know, because it means that uh, when we're feeling sluggish, we, it's better to call on the energizing factors than the factors of tranquility or concentration equanimity. And similarly, it's better if we're feeling really agitated, revved up, sometimes to work with the stabilizing factors. And so it's really, it's really good to know that. The Buddha said that the factors of enlightenment, for one who develops them, they help one to slant, slope, and incline towards nirvana. <laughs> slant. So if you're interested in slanting, sloping, and inclining... Towards nirvana, these are for you. <laughs> they are the, he also said they are the seven precious gems of a wheel-turning king or queen. So they're, they're good. And they're also, a fun, when we develop them, they're a fundamental way to work with the so-called hindrances or difficult energies that we've also looked at in the past. That they, if we're feeling those difficult energies of kind of compulsive desire or very strong aversion or uh, kind of a sleepiness, low energy or some kind of restlessness or, or doubt, any of those qualities or probably any really challenging mind or heart state, we can call upon these factors and they can be helpful. In the, 
in the commentaries, there are lists of what will help us to develop each of these qualities. And I actually, I, I was thinking of Xeroxing this, but I didn't. I have a list here of eight or ten um, um, factors, or I should say conditions, which are conducive to developing each of the seven. And I'll mention some of them. The general, um, it's said that the main, the main internal factor that helps us to develop these factors of awakening is careful attention. Really, that's the quality of mindfulness, looking carefully. And so if we have any situation which we're challenged by, difficult, a little bit unbalanced, we can always look carefully, even if it's to look carefully into what's challenging or difficult. That's always helpful. And it's said that the main external factor that helps these conditions develop is good friendship. That's sweet, isn't it? And I think you know that the Buddha, even with all this talk about you know, inner meditative development, there, there was a very strong emphasis on, on friendship, community, sangha. And I think you know the story where, I, I think I've mentioned it once or twice, where Ananda asked the question, he said, I've been thinking, Buddha, that good friends are half of the holy life or half of the life of um, awakening. He said, don't say that, Ananda. Good friends are the entirety, the whole of the holy life. And so very significant. So us meeting here, giving that kind of mutual support, giving that support for the challenging moments that we mentioned at the end of the sitting, as well as sharing the celebratory moments or the gratitude is not to be underestimated, really, really important. So if you're having a challenging moment, um, first choice, look inwardly. If looking inwardly is difficult, call up a friend. <laughs> so, uh, and do, best of all, do both. Look inward and talk to a friend about your inward experience. So that's the general guidance. So I'll talk about each of the seven, and I'll do it a little bit briefly because of the time. And some of them we've talked about at length. So mindfulness is this central practice that we do. It's really, uh, the Buddha said it's the direct way to awakening, to cultivate mindfulness. It's just very, very, uh, and it's also just this very simple tool. It's the tool of being aware of our present experience, of being able to look carefully at what's there. Mindfulness has the quality of being direct, It's being with our experience without um, a lot of discursive overlay, without a lot of commentary. It's being very direct with our experience. So if you're noticing that there is a lot of discursive overlay, uh, it might be a sign to refine the mindfulness. So really to look carefully, to look directly. Mindfulness has the quality of being non-judgmental. It's also non-reactive. It's this balanced way of just being present with what's there. And some of you may have seen a week or two ago, there was an article in the New York Times that made the rounds on the internet on bringing mindfulness into the classroom. And so it's really, right now, mindfulness is being recognized as this very powerful tool that helps with learning, helps with education. That's what um, my friend Diana that I mentioned is working with, particularly working with bringing mindfulness into schools. And actually, several of the people who were in that article are connected with Spirit Rock. 
who were reported on. Uh, Diana, had, they, Diana said they reported her most um, critical comment on mindfulness, and they published that rather than the other thing she said <laughs> in the interview, but that's another story. And although it wasn't too bad, it, it, she, all she said was, don't expect mindfulness to do everything, <laughs> which is okay. She didn't say anything really bad, but all these other things, you know, that's, well, that's newspaper. Sometimes. Okay, I don't want to... I want to be mindful about newspapers and non-judgmental, non-reactive. So, and so uh, these are the, and the qualities, and they're also you know, being brought into a lot of approaches to psychotherapy or using mindfulness, as many of you know. It's being brought into healthcare, medicine. So it's really this, this powerful, simple quality of presence, awareness, direct looking at experience. And so it's crucial in developing these factors that we develop the, uh, the, the aspect of mindfulness. I'll just mention something that I, I, I love to mention, which is that the, the Chinese character for mindfulness can really be inspiring for us, because it's a pictogram, a complex pictogram, that has uh, basically three characters. Uh, one is a character for present moment, and the other is a composite of characters for home, and uh, heart. Put those together and you have mindfulness is finding a home for your heart in the present moment. And that's what we cultivate. That's something, again, something we can keep cultivating on the cushion in daily life. It's just this coming back to presence. And the other factors, in a way, help us to develop that quality of mindfulness. Investigation or inquiry, the first of the energizing factors, is something that we looked at in depth uh, in the three weeks up till last time. So some of us have looked at that a lot and worked with that. But for those who weren't here, and, and for the sake of summary, I'll just mention a few things about investigation or inquiry. It's the, it's the quality of really looking more deeply at experience. And some, to some extent, it can be an extension of mindfulness. And so mindfulness, we might just be aware of what's happening. The quality of inquiry helps us to look more deeply, as it were, beneath the surface. So we might, first of all, I, I mentioned that the, uh, or I, I would say that the mantra of, of inquiry or investigation <coughs> is, what's happening? What's happening right now? That it can be this question that we continually ask, What's really happening? We can ask in the middle of daily life. We can ask it when we're at a traffic light and the driver in front of us is using a cell phone. And we notice something arising in ourselves. Unspecified. I will not name it, but it might be. It could be. It could. Well, you know, I won't say anymore. And, and we can ask at that moment what's happening. And the, it can be the inquiry. As the inquiry gets deeper, it can be actually looking at those moments in daily life and just saying, what's there? What's happening? doesn't mean that at a certain moment we don't step or uh, honk the horn. So inquiry doesn't mean passivity, but it means looking more deeply. And we can do that in a variety of ways. We can do that in our meditation, just particularly when we notice very uh, something strong happening, we can say, let me study this. And some of the most wonderful aspects of inquiry are when we take, either in daily life or in meditation, when we take challenging experiences, perhaps the, the, 
complex of emotions that, that are connected with a difficult experience with a friend or a partner or a son, her daughter, her parent. And that's all happening. And we say, let me really study this. Let me really use mindfulness to notice, hang out. And that means inquiry investigation means hanging out with what's happening and really noticing. So it means getting away from the tendency just to want to fix everything, which is strong for most of us. Fixing everything means ending whatever is unpleasant and attaching ourselves as strongly as possible to what's pleasant. An inquiry investigation is different. It says, let me look at this, even when it's pleasant. You know, I think I, I told the story, well, a long time ago, but I told the story of how one of the sitting groups that I had, we, I mentioned that uh, mindfulness doesn't matter whether something's pleasant or unpleasant, that we could do mindfulness and inquiry with eating chocolate if we wanted to. And they said, let's do it. (laughs) And so we actually did it for the next two times. We sat there and ate chocolate and tried to notice and inquire deeply. Would you like to do that sometime? (laughs) Okay, I'll write that down. (laughs) Okay, chocolate, chocolate, inquiry. Okay, uh... Chocolate is not mentioned as one of the seven factors of enlightenment, but you know, these lists can change over time. <laughs> so, so inquiry or investigation is this wonderful quality that is that we again we've looked at, and there are ways of deepening. It's the quality of deep listening. This uh, Quan Yin, who's over here, and another manifestation is said to be the one who listens to to the cries of the world who actually listens and inquires and wants to know about suffering so as to help respond. And that's a kind of inquiry because we really have to... Inquiry is something that we do with difficult as well as beautiful states that are present. The second of the energizing qualities is really effort or energy itself. And it's this uh, quality of having a lot of both a lot of energy, but actually in the text, it's more about the energy to keep noticing. It's the energy to keep noticing and responding to the situation with as much skill and wisdom and compassion as possible. So it's not what we might think. We hear, you know, energy and effort. It means this, you know, I think the connotation for many of us, it says it's about having this really, really strong will that's going to just keep doing things and wake up at five in the morning to meditate for three hours before I go to work. And, and that's, I think that could be an aspect of it, sometimes using the will, but it's actually something more ordinary or more, more um, less about will and more just about the effort to notice. And that, that may take a certain amount of will. In the text, the, the uh, quality of effort is explicated in terms of this list, another one of the list of the four wise efforts. And you may remember them. They're expressed in Victorian language this way. The first kind of effort is to avoid unarisen, unwholesome states. The second is to abandon arisen, unwholesome states. The third is to develop unarisen, unwholesome states. And the fourth is to maintain arisen, wholesome states. Are you inspired? (laughs) 
Uh, I think that when it, that was expressed in the language of the Buddha, it had, it had a different response in the audience than me just saying those. And so I was really grateful when a student a few years ago in one of my groups that meets at my home, she said, well, you know, that sounds just like what we do with kayaking. And so I wanted to rephrase the four wise efforts in terms of the four guidelines for wise kayaking. It's actually, that, but it's actually very down to earth. The first, the, the um, avoiding unarisen, unwholesome states, which sounds kind of like a triple negative. Mm-hmm. Avoiding unarisen, unwholesome. I think that's one reason our minds sort of go into goo or something. We hear that, but uh, maybe not all. Some of you are just totally with the, the phrasing, but, but the, the kayaking way, I'm sorry, the kayaking way of expressing this would be basically avoid unarisen unwholesome states is the same as stay out of trouble. So it means really being careful to go into certain territories. That's part of effort. To, you know, to know where you get in trouble and to stay away from it. It might be when you're getting in a discussion with someone that's really on the edge and you know both of you are a little unbalanced. Wise effort means to pull back from that. That's the first aspect of wise, wise effort. To stay out of trouble, to stay out of situations, mind states that you know are going to get you lost and do things which are unskillful. The second, the abandoning arisen unwholesome states, in kayaking language means know what to do if you get in trouble. Again, pretty down-to-earth, or down-to-water. <laughs> so, um, but it means to, how do we work with uh, challenging mind states or heart states? How do we work when we get unbalanced? How do we work when we get agitated? And to actually do that, that's part of wise effort. Similarly, the third aspect, develop unarisen wholesome states, could, be, could mean cultivate good qualities. For in kayaking language, develop good habits for kayaking. That just means to really be conscious of developing qualities that are helpful, such as these seven factors. It's really to say, I want to really develop more mindfulness. So if I do that, I need to really um, bring that into my life. How do I do that? And so forth. And the fourth is maintain arisen wholesome states. That means if you have good qualities, if we have good qualities that are there, keep practicing them. Keep practicing the mindfulness. We may have mindfulness at a retreat, but do we stabilize it or make it real in daily life? And to me, that, that makes wise effort less a matter of will, you know, and I will do it or I will have superhuman effort, and more a matter of the moment-to-moment experience of really saying, let me act wisely and compassionately right now. What does it take? That's a, for me, that's a, a fuller understanding of this quality of wise effort. The fourth factor is the factor of rapture or joy, piti, in the, in the Pali language. And most of us have that sense at some point in our practice. It's the sense, it can be the body being filled with beautiful energy. You know, it can be something, simply having the heart awakened. It can move, you know, it can go from the sense of really feeling a certain joy just from the day or from, from an insight to having uh, ecstatic, rapturous energy in the body, you know, which, which is, uh, can be very powerful and really build a certain confidence. And I was thinking of this. I brought in 
a book that some of you know, a book called Sacred Mirrors, The Visionary Art of Alex Gray. How many people know the work of Alex Gray? It's an amazing artist who I think gives these quite amazing uh, paintings of someone in, among other, a lot of things, but I think a lot about rapture, the rapture, her joy of having ecstatic energy pulsing through one. And this is, this is, this is, um, this is rapture. Can you see? Yeah. It's this amazing, he, what he does is he has these amazing images of, uh, essentially of the connection of the body going out and connecting almost like with an energetic field that is the whole of creation as sort of that would be one of the endpoints of, of rapture, her joy. Here's a woman with four arms expressing it. <laughs> and he has these amazing drawings, and I'll leave this, this up here for a while. Of, he has drawings of a family. Uh, here is a, a family with a, a little one in this sort of network of rapture and joy. And it uh, very, very, can be very inspiring. Um, and it, but it's also this very uh, modest quality. It, it, it can be something, can be a joy. In the commentaries it said that one of the ways of arousing rapture, her joy, is reflecting on people who've been inspiring to you could be to read certain books. Do you know how you can read a book and you're just knocked out of uh, a mind state? Or the way that we see a movie about the life of someone who's been amazing. And it fills us with a certain joy and inspiration. So we can ask, for each of these, we can ask, which of these do I feel most called to develop now? And what would help me do that? That's really the, the context of all of this. It's said in the commentaries that considering one's own virtue is a way to develop rapture her joy. Remembering the generosity of others. So just very down to earth. doesn't have to be the rapture of being taken up in the universal energetic lattice of the cosmos, which isn't bad. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, 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 there's a whole range of developing, developing joy. It's said that seeking refined friends is a source of rapture or joy. So, you know, spend some time after the, after the class is over. Look for people who seem refined. <laughs> okay, put a, raise your hand if you're, <laughs> you're a refined person. <laughs> we'll, have, yeah, we'll have the refined people on one side and those seeking refined people on the other. I'll, I'll, I think I'll let that self-organize. Um, the fifth through seventh factors are the, tr- are the factors that stabilize us. They help us, uh, in a way, in a, in a sense, they help us integrate, they help us uh, take some of, these, some of the qualities that have been developing and have them um, get a kind of stability, foundation, and they're, they're wonderful qualities. You know, I often think that some parts of our practice are challenging. We're working with difficult mind states. We're doing inquiry. We're being mindful. We're studying. We're ha- and then some of our practice is about a kind of stabilizing. It's a kind of quieting the mind, concentrating. And there's certain 
resources that get developed as we do that. We get a certain confidence in, in our own stability, our own beauty, and it's, in practice it's actually necessary. You know, I know when I work with people, sometimes people are really involved in deep inquiry, and sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's too much. And then it's really important to really stabilize, to develop in concentration. And for example, loving kindness is one way of really doing that. Develop in the quality of warmth or loving kindness to can really stabilize us. The first is tranquility. Pasadi is the Pali word, P-A-S-S-A-D-H-I. It's this sense of quiet, of peacefulness, of, of stillness. It's connected particularly with the absence of the hindrances. It's this calm or quiet way that, way that we are. And it's, uh, as we mentioned uh, last time, it's not the same thing as equanimity. That there can be calm and tranquility. Equanimity, as we'll get to in a while, is the factor of being able to be balanced with everything, even if it's somewhat chaotic. But the first factor is more about the quality of stillness and and calm, which can be very wonderful uh, when it's present. And it, it can be, uh, it's like when we've had this really active time and we just, oh, today, just nothing happening today. It kind of helps us come back to balance. Nothing to do. Or just being with a, a still lake, being with the ocean when it's really still, it can evoke something in us. And it can be something that we know is one of the um, it helps us, I mean, I, I, I'm sure research will show that the quality of tranquility just helps calm the nervous system, helps recharge us, and so forth, that there's all these different aspects to it. A few ways to develop tranquility or calm. Why is attention always helpful? It's said in the commentaries, don't eat too much stimulating food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, be careful with chocolate. But, but it said, um, let me see how it's stated here. Uh, yeah, having, having good food and healthy food that's not too stimulating is a source of tranquility. Interesting, huh? Another is live in a good climate. Okay, have a comfortable posture. Avoid louts. <laughs> Another translation is coarse people. And so again, we'll, we won't, well, I won't, won't have hands ris- rising here. <laughs> Anyone of a lout, <laughs> stay in that corner. <laughs> so choose calm and kind friends. Helps towards tranquility. Concentration or samadhi is the it's different than tranquility. It's the gathering of the mind. It's the gathering of our attention, our mind together. And so, again, a very powerful factor. It's um, the con- concentration when our minds are, are concentrated, when we might be just with the breath. I think we know that there's a kind of calming also of the body. And when there's concentration, the difficult energies are no longer present. When the minds re- and that can be very helpful again for rebalancing. That we, that when we are very concentrated, that kind of strong desire or strong aversion, the sleepiness, the restlessness are no longer present. Now, one of the interesting things about concentration 
is that it's a, it doesn't resolve those issues, but it, as it were, suppresses, it suppresses the difficult energies. It covers them over. It's actually the quality of mindfulness which can uproot the uh, delusion that's often connected with, let's say, doubt or restlessness and so forth. And so concentration by itself is a temporary aid. Many of us do retreats where we get, or meditations where we get really concentrated. And then we find out, you know, I remember for myself, one of the retreats I did when I was first starting, I got really concentrated, peaceful, wonderful in retreat. Then I came home, and within about an hour, I was in a fight with my roommate. And I was, you know, where did, where did that go? You know, because it was um, concentration didn't necessarily help me to be wise with my roommate. Uh, wisdom, mindfulness, compassion would do that. Concentration can give me a temporary sense of peace, but given certain stimuli, I might be right back in my reactivity. That's important to know. That's why in meditation, concentration is really helpful. It helps us to see more deeply, but it's not the end point. Sometimes we think it is. Sometimes, oh, let me just get concentrated and peaceful. But in itself, and it can give wonderful experiences and very helpful, but the, it has to be balanced with the insight and with the compassion. Equanimity is the last factor, and I'll, again, I'll be brief with that. And I, w- I would love to give a two or three hour talk on all of these because they could deserve them, but that would have to be another time. So equanimity is this quality of being balanced with whatever comes up. And again, it's not, as we talked about last time at the end, it's not the same as calm. We can be equanimous when things are chaotic. Things can be really crazy, running around, all this stuff happening, and we can be like the uh, stillness at the eye of the hurricane. That's equanimity. It's the ability to have a kind of stillness, an inner stillness, even when all sorts of things are happening. It's taken to be a pretty advanced quality, uh, equanimity. We develop it when we are simply mindful and can stay with a range of phenomena in a balanced way. So when you're sitting there and feeling agitated and you just try to be mindful and stay a little more balanced, that is cultivating equanimity. We do that enough. Stay with the agitation in meditation. When that happens in real life, you'll notice that there are resources of equanimity present that you've been cultivating. You know? and so, but a lot of times we don't get that. We say, oh, God, I'm feeling agitated. I should stop meditating. You know, get up or something. Does anyone ever have those fleeting thoughts? <laughs> and that it's actually really important to sit when things are not so comfortable because it actually can develop the factor of not only of mindfulness but also of equanimity. It's, um, it's a beautiful quality. Equanimity doesn't mean that we don't act as well. We can be deeply equanimous, but we can also respond and act. So it's a misunderstanding of equanimity to think that it's disconnected from action. Uh, there's a beautiful, let me see where this is. There's a beautiful uh, quotation. Maybe I'll end with this. This is from the poet Gary Snyder. And he was talking about equanimity. I think this was in, it's in a poem in his most recent book of poems called Danger on Peaks, which is a beautiful book. And Gary Snyder is one of my heroes. How many people know of his work? Yeah, a little less than half. 
wonderful poet, one of the pioneers in bringing meditation to the United States, wonderful poet, uh, environmental activist. I remember in Alan Watts once said, I think he said this in his autobiography, he said, and this is pretty high praise, he said, knowing Gary Snyder and knowing his work gives me confidence in the goodness of the cosmos. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty strong. Uh, and so this was, a, this was part of a poem, kind of commentary on a poem that he wrote in a poem about the destruction of the Buddha statues in Afghanistan at Bamiyan, some of you know, and I think in 2000, around that time. And he, he talked about impermanence and a certain understanding of equanimity in Buddhist practice, which is that, oh yeah, impermanent, things pass. And I think he was criticizing that. That would be a misunderstanding of equanimity because equanimity deeply is connected with the heart and with caring. And he was saying there's a misunderstanding of Buddhist practice in which impermanence and equanimity become an excuse for not caring. And I wanted, so I want to read this to end. Ah, yes, impermanence, again, in the context of the destruction of the statues. But this is a never a reason to let compassion and focus slide or to pass of the sufferings of others because they are merely impermanent beings. The haiku of Isa, a great Japanese haiku writer, goes like this. This dewdrop world is but a dewdrop world, and yet... The haiku ends there. This dewdrop world is but a dewdrop world, and yet... So dewdrop refers to the impermanence. It's like, a, like dew in the morning. It passes. This dewdrop world is but a dewdrop world, and yet... So it's the other side. It's like wisdom without compassion is not what this is about. And Snyder says, this dewdrop world is but a dewdrop world, and yet, he says, that and yet is our perennial practice and maybe the root of the Dharma. So I'll end here and invite us all to reflect on which of these factors do we feel most called to develop. And, it might, and we can do this both generally in our lives and at any given moment. It's a way to come back to balance. Because these are all about the qualities that are there when we're most present, most wise. So we can ask, what would help me generally? What do I feel most called to develop? And we might take on really saying, let me cultivate that for the next few weeks. And then we can ask in a given moment, we can use this model. So thank you. And may each of our factors of awakening develop wonderfully and in the right balance. Thank you. So any any reflections or questions or thoughts, please, Dick? So when you said this thing about Buddhists said that the uh, friendship is the pole of the spiritual practice. Yeah. So I've been coming here for 15 years. I don't remember ever hearing anything related to that. And yeah. Actually, one of my the criticisms of yeah. Buddhism is um, we come here, we sit, we listen, yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I can come here for another 10 years and go away not really right. knowing or being friends with anyone here. Because, and 
And I think it's because we don't create the forms for interconnectedness. Right, right. So, so that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do we... How do we, so how do, we, how do we balance the wishes for friendship and have that be, uh, have that be stronger here? I, I've thought about having name tags. I, I don't know if that's a little tacky. It's, people like, how, would, would people like, how many people would like name tags? How many people would dread name tags? How many people would be okay with name tags? So it's, it's an idea. You know, they're, they're different. I think you're right. They're different forms. And we're, you know, from where I sit, we're trying to balance that. I think there actually is a lot of friendship that does develop here. And it, it actually comes from hearing each other. There is, there's a lot that happens between the end of the sitting and the beginning of the talk out in the, out in the hall. Uh, but I think I would take um, what you're saying as actually helpful and saying, how can we, uh, how can we, have that quality of friendship. You know, one would be about having more dyads, like having people do, you know, when we look at a topic, doing, doing um, meeting with individual, you know, meeting with someone and talking about how this is in your practice. How many people would like more, more dyads, more chances? You know, what, we, what we've actually found when we actually do polls on this, it's a little tricky. We talk about friendship, but actually people when we do polls, about half the people say, I don't want to talk more to the people here. I want to just hear the talk. And about half say, I really want that deeply. And so it's a little bit of a dilemma. But I personally, I think that I would like to take more steps, like more, more dyads, maybe the name tags. And maybe we can talk afterwards about other ideas, because I know that's a really important interest for you. Thanks, th- thanks so much for speaking up. And all the factors of awakening will expand, <laughs> please. Yeah. Maybe in the back, and then, okay. yeah. Um, I have a lot of confusion about joy. Yeah. I mean, is there an assumption that joy is there and we're just not noticing it? Or are we supposed to actively cultivate joy? Um, <coughs> both. both. The, the question was, um, again, it, uh, maybe like friendship, we, all, we don't, I might, this, my experience is that we, all, we don't talk as much about joy and rapture as we talk about some of the other factors. So maybe that's connected with your point. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, the question is, is, is the sense that joy is there and we're not tapping into it or that we need to very consciously cultivate it? And both are actually true, I think. It is taken that it's the nature of an awakened being to be joyful. <coughs> And to the extent that, and that at moments of our deepest awakening, we will, there, there likely would be joy there. You know, when we're just really present, really full. You can think of, think of times when it, that's been your experience. So I think it is almost like, I mean, we could understand it in a few different ways. It's almost like our bodies and minds in a certain stage, the endorphins kick in, and there's almost like chemical secretions that fill us with joy when we're in a certain state. I know in Hindu tradition, it's taken that bliss as part of the very nature of the universe. Satchitananda is the nature of being. And so, and so and many people find, and people they find most awakened, the quality of joy. And so I think it is something that's there when we touch something really deep in ourselves. 
And on the other hand, we have to cultivate it. So it's really it's this dual way in which these teachings are both about the state of an awakened being or us in our most awakened moments and qualities that we develop to touch more into what already might be part of our nature. But how is yeah. trying to cultivate joy any different than longing and going to the store and buying chocolate? <laughs> well, it's not if we have mindfulness at the store. Uh, or if, if we have mindfulness, I, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but it's um, uh, the key is always mindfulness. But you're saying, how is it just not being caught in our desires to, to kind of to want joy? Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting question because our language gets us tripped up in that way. Uh, and there, you know, in the tradition, there's a sense that aspiration and acting to awaken is different from being caught in compulsive desire. So it's really the quality to which there's some mindfulness to which we're compulsive about it. Or ba- and basically that it's, uh, the, the compulsive desire is taken to be connected with suffering. So it's really, and we take mindfulness to be in the long run to distinguish when that's healthy. So I say that it could be part of joy to go to really want to have beautiful plants in one's house and to go to the store. And that could be part of cultivating joy. It also could be a lot of attachment but we have to look there. So the, the cultivation of joy or rapture could come from um, maybe just being near beauty, just placing ourselves deliberately. We talked about that some when, when Ruth Gendler was here, like deliberately being with beauty or asking ourselves what helps. And we might maybe a way to answer your question for, for each of us or for oneself would be to say, what helps, how, what helps with the kind of joy, what helps develop the kind of joy which is most authentic as opposed to more conditioned or reactive? What helps develop that? You know, it might be to reflect on certain things, be near certain people. But it is saying that there's a certain quality of the mind just being still, concentrated, aware that there's a natural joy which arises. And again, I think on a there is more research about that, about how that even works on a biochemical level. Mm-hmm. So does that help some? Yeah, it's a start, but it's, it's, I love the question about how do, we, how do we know that cultivating one of these, or say, I really want to cultivate joy, how is that different from just being attached, right? That's a great, that's a great question. And I think the answer is partly by, it's partly by looking at our motivation. Does it come from this deep longing because longing, again, tricky word. Longing is a word that's used in, like among the Sufis or in some of the love poetry of the Hebrew Bible as something of very deep and sacred impulse. But it also can be something really conditioned and narrow. So I have to be a little careful with the language. Um, if we could do this briefly, because we're at, we're at time. Okay, is that I okay? Just, I would just say that I have the good fortune of having a, a good friend bring me here yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, if we others share a common interest in spiritual matters, you know, bring a friend with you and uh, and help each other. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. That. That. Um, but I think I think it's a, it's great to remember how important the Buddha thought friendship was. Friendship coupled with attention is. Uh, 
is key, really, he says, to, to being inspired, just to especially to be inspired, to be reminded, and, 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 and partly to know people well. So there's that bond of trust and connection which helps us to explore. So if anyone would like to, I'd be happy to, after we finish, to, if anyone wants to talk about friendship further in our community here and how to develop for further, I'd be up for hanging around for five or ten minutes. So let's just sit quietly to close. And invite to be present. Whatever may have been helpful from the morning related to the theme of the seven factors of awakening or perhaps something quite different. And then also to invite any intentions for your own practice, your own experience, which come out of the morning, directions you'd like to go. So knowing that we practice, uh, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. We dedicate whatever has been helpful from our morning for the well-being, the benefit, the healing, and the freedom of others. for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.